Are you here? Are you here? You ever notice that if you say, are you here, backwards, it's here you are, huh? And here you are listening to another episode of The Paul Leslie Hour. Welcome to Here. Now, this aging interview with the eternally youthful J-Mo comes from our archives. That's the way, way back machine, and we can't wait to present it to you. J-Mo is a legendary drummer, percussionist, and founding member of the Allman Brothers Band. <laughs> J-Mo began drumming at a very early age and joined Otis Redding's touring band as a very young man. He followed this with a stint with the legendary duo Sam and Dave. J-Mo continued to tour with the Allman Brothers Band until their very last show. Our guest J-Mo is still active to this day with his own band, J-Mo's Jazz Band. In 2012, they released their debut studio album, Renaissance Man. Worth listening to, folks. Worth purchasing, my friends. Whoa, J-Mo. Keep in mind, everyone, the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by people just like you. Simply visit www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. Drop a little cha-ching into the hat. We depend on you so we can do more. Now, let's listen to that interview when J-Mo called into the show. Let's hear that call. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome our special guest, Legendary drummer, J-Mo. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm very glad to be your guest. Thank you so much. So how do you define J-Mo? Who is J-Mo at heart? A musician who wants to make people happy by playing the drum. I've made myself pretty much happy, but I still got a lot of growing to do, and I guess I'll go until I die. I just want to do it so that everybody else feels comfortable with it, and I don't have to necessarily critique it. I mean, critique it in terms of, as they would say, selling out. But this makes things so that people will accept them as a way to do everything. And the biggest part of that is you got something you really love, and you can't seem to get it to go, nobody will catch on to it. Then you need to take another look at it, because it's not being presented right. So you should be happy with what you're what you're presenting and and trying to get everybody else to join along. Yeah, but what else they believe other than that, I don't know. Johnny Johnson is Michelle Johnson's son. It, 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 I'm only Johnny Johnson to the people that I graduated with in high school, pretty much. That was fifty years. What music did you first fall in love with? Jazz. As in I could say, I could say, well, I'd say jazz in terms of what, what my band is called, Jamo's Jazz Band. The reason we call Jamo's Jazz Band is because the jazz is American music, and it has to do with whether it's hillbilly, whether it's a bunch of guitars sitting around strumming and singing songs, or whether it's big band or whatever. It's, it's jazz music, because that's what has been created in this country. There's a lot of different flavors. It's put in it that came in here from everywhere else it came from in the world. American music is truly jazz music. 
improvised music. When I was a kid, that was this lady, Mishtachi Blair. It used to play the radio from New Orleans when we would be playing ball in the street. We'd be playing ball and she'd be sitting there crocheting, watching us play, enjoying it. And she'd have the radio blasting. And she'd have like WWL, WNO, WNO, WNOE, WWYLD from New Orleans. There was a lot of music being played on the radio back then. It was like 1950 and 55, 56, 53, 54, 55, 56. When all this stuff was going on, she'd be playing the radio, and, and there was a lot of people. What, what really became popular music, which basically what it is, it's only popular because a lot of people listen to it. People think that pop music is, you know, like serial or like something that is not up, not up to this or not up to that. Popular music is just music that people play for than maybe others when they're sitting around washing dishes or cleaning the house. That's what they're doing. So what was named what has been called jazz, I would say that personality of music is mine, was the first thing that, that made me want to be a jazz musician, a musician, period. You toured with Otis Redding. What did you find him to be like? He was a jazz musician. <laughs> Otis, was a funny, Otis was a funny guy. He would do anything for a laugh. He didn't care what, you know, he didn't want nobody to get drunk on his gig or get so wrecked that they couldn't, they couldn't do the job. But, you know, he didn't really care about people smoking pot or drinking or what they did, as long as they could do the job. That was the most important thing. As long as they could do the job, he didn't care what they did. What did you learn as a result of touring with him? I learned about timing. I learned how to play in front of the beat. I learned how to play behind the beat and still be what's considered where the beat is at. Because there is degrees of behind it, degrees of in front of it, what's considered where the beat goes. That's basically what I learned from Otis. He had a good time singing. He loved living life. When I was learning all this stuff, you know, I didn't realize that I was learning it because I had this, this growing up problem like a lot of people have. When you're learning something, it's like you want to learn it and do it the way you're learning it, but you hear in your head. But the only problem with that is, is that you haven't learned how to present it yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's the biggest problem with that. I learned a lot of stuff from Otis. I might be doing something else, or playing something else. Oh, gee, why don't you play, play like this? He used to, if, he, if I was doing something that he wanted another way, he sounded the drum and showed me what he wanted. He could, he could play drums enough to have anybody play what he wanted in his music. He played enough piano to show musicians what he wanted in the studio with his songs and, and, and enough guitar. He played with one finger on the guitar. Seems like I remember him having a capo on that guitar one time. And he used his other finger, I guess, as a capo, because his first finger, he used the slide to ever what sound he heard in his head. But I had a lot of fun playing Notice's Band. I played Notice's Band from April, April 18th, 1968. I'm sorry, 1966 to September 5th. Had a great time. What are your memories of touring with Sam and Dave? They were guys that Otis had. You know, I get all the stories about Sam and Dave this and Otis that. All that I know is that Otis had Sam and Dave on his show as his co-stars because they put they put fire on the stage before they left it. And that's exactly what Otis wanted. He didn't want no co-stars. 
Unless people don't want to go on the show, then he did that pretty much himself. But when he went on the stage, you know, somebody had already warmed it up, and he just made he just made it into a bonfire. <laughs> the debut studio album of J-Mo's jazz band is called Renaissance Man. So what made you want to record a studio record? My guitar player singer. Well, I, I always did. But then um, when you start when you start playing music, you realize that there's a lot of music you play, and one of the first things you would say usually after a gig is, man, I sure wish we could have recorded that. And a lot of the reasons being, so now that you can sit back and listen to it yourself from a different point of view, because there's only so many points of view you can take when you're playing. And I think you need to get out of the way so you can go ahead and play your music rather than orchestrating it while you're playing it. It can be a little distraction. So Junior Mac said, man, we got to do a studio album. we got to do a studio album. Because my first two albums released was live at the, the Double Down in Avon, Connecticut. And then the second one was just something I said, let's record it. It was called the Ed Blackwell. We call it the Ed Blackwell CD. Ed Blackwell was a famous musician, played the drums from New Orleans. He played, he played in Ray Charles' band. He played in, he played in, in bands with Class Johnson and his brother, who's a guitar player. And he ended up just playing, he became famous playing what we call modern jazz, beyond bebop. Something I've always wondered is, what is the significance of the way you spell Jamos Jazz Band, J-A-S-S-F-Z? Interesting enough is that the idea was to kind of not scare people when they see J-A-Z-Z. And a lot of people have said to me, you know, you're not going to have very much of an audience with playing, playing a jazz band. And, and uh, I said, well, I guess the band will die then. I said, because the jazz is an American music. And that's like everything I ever heard that came out of America. The Beatles did something like that with the word Beatles. The first time I saw this word, my wife used to say, you want to say ass? Why don't you just go ahead and say ass? I said, I want to say that word. That's not what I'm looking for. So when Winston Martellus was on, well, the Ken Burns document that was about New Orleans music, and that early New Orleans music and jazz, because not just New Orleans, but they were all over the place playing that music. One day, or one night, because he's gone every night for about three weeks, he did. One night, there was these guys on the street, and they were doing something, and they had a bass drum. And on the bass drum, it said J-A-S-S. And I went, well, I'll be damned. Look at that. And one of the first things I did was I filmed it. So, And then I ordered the, the CDs later on to show my wife that that interesting enough right there to me that I want to spell the word like this when the word was originally spelled like that, which I had no idea anything about. I've never heard anybody use that term. I wouldn't say that's where it came from, but it just certified that it was going to stay that way. You mentioned earlier Junior Mac. He wrote a lot of the songs on Renaissance Man. What do you like about his songwriting? Well, I love his songwriting, but the, the reason that we have a lot of his songs is because he was the only one that song. <laughs> Junior Mac has been playing quite a while. He's, he's not any discovery for anything. Junior Mac has been playing for music a long time. He was a computer operator for about 25 years, and uh, he got laid off. 
So when a job became available, he decided he liked playing music and he never went back to doing that corporate thing. He's a great songwriter, great person, number one. Great songwriter, a great guitar player, great person, man. And he observed a lot of things. And basically that's what he writes about. He can see something going down, man, and <laughs> be careful you don't have a song coming about ever what that is. Because he, the cat knows a lot about life. He sings in a choir. It is church, a men's choir. But I think it's only a guitar, bass, if that's a bass. But he sings in this choir. He's been singing for like about 30 years. All men, all male choir. So that's pretty much who Julian Mack is. He's a joy to play with. Like I said, he has songs. And he's, he's got a lot of songs that, you know, he, he think like, well, that song might not work with us. Or that song might not. So, man, pull all the stuff out you got. Because we are not the people that you played with before. A lot of them couldn't execute the way he wanted, but I can understand that from being with it now. A lot of people couldn't execute a lot of the things that he wanted, and he played a lot of them songs. He just played when he was soloing, just playing by itself. It's some, some gig. Well, that's basically who Junior Mac is. What inspired you to record a cover of Rainy Night in Georgia? Because there's a guy I know named Charles Otis, inside I call the Honey Boy. I've been knowing Charles Otis since I was 16 years old, since 1960. One night, just about a year and a half ago, he told me, he said, he talked like this, he says, I saw Junior Mack last night. See, that's a great freak. A rainy night in Georgia. Y'all should record that song. And I went, oh yeah? He said, yeah, y'all should record that song right away. No. Okay. So when we went in the studio to do the album, it's like, Okay, we're going to do Rainy Night in Georgia. Now, what we're going to do, Rainy Night in Georgia, is just one of the songs that Junior had been playing, and he played so well. Most of the songs you see on that, with the exception of about four, we've been playing a long time. And then there were songs on there that, like only one of the songs on there we hadn't been playing was written in the studio. There was a number of them written in the studio. Dave Stokes' song on there was written in the studio. And Reggie Pittman's song, Tell us about the song on their Hippology that was written by Bruce Katz. I wanted to do that tune because I did that tune one time when Bruce was in Ronnie Earl's band. Ronnie's a guitar player. Bruce was in that band. And I did a session with Ronnie. Gregory sang some songs on that on that album. Mark Quinones, the percussionist from the Allman Brothers, played on it. Hank Crawford, the saxophone player, the late Hank Crawford played on it, and I played on it. Bruce had this tune, and he was concerned about the drummer, Pierre, who was played. They played a guy from, from New England. They played a little different swing than they do in the rest of the United States. It's almost like they kind of play blues, but they kind of play swing at the same time, and they developed quite interesting uh, way of playing for doing that. It reminds me of things that I do that out of necessity, things out of necessity usually becomes something pretty incredible if you continue to use it. Anyway, so I told Bruce I could play the song, and he played it. And I said, don't worry, man. I said, I got your back. So we played the tune a couple of times. And then one day when the day that Hank Crawford came in to do the session that he was going to play on with that and a couple of other songs, Tom Dowd, who was producing the session, said, why don't you roll that tune while Hank is here? That's your policy. So we did, and the interesting thing is, the way we had ran that tune down was one thing. We ran it down once while Hank was assembling his, his, his alto, 
And he said, okay, let's, let's try one. I think in one take, uh, no more than two takes, we had it. But the minute that we did the, the like, the introduction, uh, maybe about four cars or something, and then the, the theme, and the minute this Hank hit a note, everything about that chant, that song changed. <laughs> everything changed about that song. It was good. That just shows his, his mastery of playing songs. And there's, there's quite a few people like that. There's quite a few people that have that, that kind of thing. If you wonder, he's a great one at that. So you, can, you can hear most of the records that he produced on somebody. And you can hear them trying to sing like Stevie. So that was Stevie must have sung that song to them. Anyway, that's where that song came from. There's another song on there, the great Sleepy John tune, Leaving Trunk. <laughs> yeah. Where did you first hear Sleepy John's music, if you can remember? When did you first become exposed to Sleepy John's music? I guess when Junior saw that Dharma tune, because the Allman Brothers had played the tune on some of these Beacon Theater runs that you do, and it was Todd Mahal's kind of like theme song after a while, because he's going to have to find a new theme song now, the way Junior sings it. <laughs> so I guess when Junior saw it, because I had no idea, I never really paid that much attention to the tune. And I guess because when you have a lot of different people interpreting something on a stage, and a lot of times that's the way it is with the Allman Brothers band, those, those things where somebody come up and jam is they have a, usually a song that, you know, maybe you don't play, but, you know, if it's another blues song, it's pretty interesting, pretty cool. And you, when you play it, you get a lot of different interpretations of it. When I play a song, it's like I listen to what the main theme of the song is. And that's pretty much where I try to go with it from that main theme of it. In the case of a lot of other people playing the song who don't know it, ever what is going on that seems to be hooking it up, locking it in, is usually the way to play those songs. So I really don't know anything about Sleepy John. <laughs> Another song on the album that you've played many, many times, but this one has a new life to it, is Melissa. What gave you the idea for the interpretation on this album? That's another song that Junior does on his set. On, when he's playing on Junior Mac, is playing on his gig. That's another song that he does. Only he does it as a bossa nova. The Junior is hip enough to figure out, you know, there's some songs that he would like to play, and there's some songs that is pretty popular. And at the same time, he figures out what's a good way for him to play it so it won't sound the same as it did to add a little flavor to it, a little freshness to it, and it's pretty much it. When you listen to Radio Night and Shorty, you listen to Melissa, it's a good idea of the way that he's, he's saying. And I mean, you listen to Melissa, and you, you hear a lot of influences, a lot of influence of Dickie Betts' guitar playing. Junior truly is all man. But the, one of the reasons that I, I hired Junior to play in the band was because I had this, this friend, this friend of mine, I named Shank. Everybody calls him Shank. His name is Hugh Milton. He kept asking me in the big theater, have you seen Junior, you know Junior? I said, I don't know Junior Mac. I said, you don't know Junior Mac? He said, man, you gotta, you gotta hear Junior Mac. He plays great blues and on and on and on. So one night, Junior was at the, at the big theater. He goes, Jimmy, hey man, come here. He said, this is Junior Mac. I said, hey man, how you doing? I said, you, you are a real person now. <laughs> So I said to him, have you got anything that I can listen to? Because I don't know when I'll hear you play. Comes out of his pocket with a CD. I'm just waiting for me to ask. 
<laughs> so I, I took it and said, thank you, man. Now, when I listened to it, it must have been like a month later. I was out in my studio or something. And I heard, well, matter of fact, it was, it was longer than that. Because we do be completed in March. But I got the idea about doing this gig, which we, you know, the cat had his, had his magical crow there. So I said, anyway, we could record this thing. And he said, yeah, man, I get his computer. And that's what we, we recorded that through a matchbook pro. He <laughs> did that first double down cafe. So around, I guess, November or something, I thought, man, I want to play something somewhere. You know, I have, have a, dress, a dress rehearsal kind of thing where we play and we'll be stopping going over there, stopping going over there. We just play the song. And if need be, we'll like one we want to want to play it again. We'll play it, we'll play it twice. It don't matter because it's, it's different dress rehearsal. I told the guy what I wanted to do in the restaurant, and he told me, that's a good idea, man. He said, you should do it in between the Super Bowl, when the Super Bowl is going, between the last game that eliminates everybody else and the Super Bowl itself. He said, because that way, you'll have your audience paying attention to what you're doing versus looking, listening, looking at the Super Bowl, not paying attention to the music. Said, okay, cool. So we started to do that. We played. We took an intermission. But the way we were doing this is I said, everybody bring a song. Some songs. We'll look at the ones that everybody knows. We'll choose those to play. If there's someone who don't know a song and it gets down to okay, three horns, four, four rhythms. If it gets down to something that everybody don't know, then just step out of it. The song we're going to play it anyway. And I didn't know this for a while, but there's only one song on that Junior didn't play on. He didn't play on Night in Tunisia. Uh, John Burke's Gillespie song. This is Gillespie song. But I didn't know that until he told me. Anyway, so it didn't mention, I said to him, I said, hey man, I said, you play, you play different than Warren Haynes or Derek Trucks or a lot of these guys who play in that kind of a style. I said, you play different. He said, oh yeah. I said, yeah man, you play different. And he said, how is that? I said, well, I haven't heard anybody play like that except this guitar player I know that's from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I can't even think of his name. He's going to kill me for not being able to think of his name. But I said, when I left Mississippi, that's the way guys played these blues. And as much as I supposedly disliked it, it's funny that I should recognize it immediately. Anyway, he said, so how, how different is that? What should I do? I said, I said, just keep doing what you're doing, man. Don't worry about it. I said, just keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about it. And that's the reason that basically I thought that he would be a good guy to play with besides the fact that he sang was because he hadn't completely lost touch with that way of playing blues. Of like, you know, all of the, the so-called rock things that they stick in, stick in blues now, which is, which is going to create a whole other, it's going to actually create, and if you're creating, it's going to create a whole other, uh, way of, of Playing, playing the blues. Other, it should be, it, other words, it should be all a lot of the licks that the rock guys play in their blues. But, you know, I'm glad Junior can play like that, but I'm, I'm even gladder that he has not lost that in touch with that, that way of playing blues. Hey, someone else who plays blues like that. It's really surprising. And it's so funny because when we're on the stage playing, you can have, have a look. And usually it's, Warren Haynes and, and Derek Trucks and Kevin, who else is here? I don't care who is here. Susan Kadeski, 
phrase like Junior Mac. She has to change that that lesson because basically that's what you learn when you start playing those kind of blues, except for those people who don't, who is impressed by what's going on with it now, and hopefully later they move back far enough to see where it really came from. Susan plays that style with everybody else on the stage, and she takes a solo. Everybody plays them kind of rock solos and stuff. She plays Stone, Old Fashioned Blues Man. And you can play that kid, man. You can play it. <laughs> so when you're playing music, whether you're with the Allman Brothers or you're with your own band, Jamo's Jazz Band, what do you want the listener to get out of the experience? Is that music basically sounds good when you have people who appreciate it and love it versus people think that only certain things can work certain ways. Well, if Jamo doesn't have Butch up there, if he doesn't have Gregory or Dickie Betts or ever who, then how is he going to play? So the fact is that I happen to know how to play music before I ever met those guys. I heard of it. And when you have musicians who know what they, who they are and what they're supposed to be doing, then the number one thing is to make music sound good. You can forget about uh, your ego or whatever, because the number one thing is to make the music sound good. And that will be the thing a musician will do is not be concerned so much about I really like to play this that way or this way or that way. Whatever what way it makes the music sound good at that point, right there at that time. And we will do that. We will be doing that. In this in Table's Jazz Band, we will be doing that all the time. When it starts to get to where it's not doing that, then it'll be time to either take a long break or fix some other chemistry in that other than what's there now. What is the best thing about being Jamo? I get to play pretty much everything I ever wanted to play when I started playing drums. And what I mean by that is, like, I've been in the Auburn Brothers Band since 1969. And when I was in high school, I used to be reading Downbeat Magazine. Interesting how Duke Ellington had guys in his band, Woody Herman, uh, Count Basie. They had guys in their bands who had been in their bands like 30 and 40 years. I'm going, how can somebody play in a band that long? The thing is, is that it worked. You play better with people that you've been playing with a long time and when you play together all the time. There's nothing, there's nothing that can get past that. So I guess have played in the Allman Brothers band in more direction than I could have played in any other band. And I get paid not only the joy of that, but I get paid financially way, way, way more than uh, adequately. So I guess that's What's great about being JMO? I can pay my bills. I can pay my rent on my own home. Pay my water bill. I don't have a water bill because I got a, got a well right here in my yard. But basically, the things that anyone would want to do when they become a musician or anything else is being able to make a living. And then when you can uh, create all this great music, it's like, like I can on the cake, man. <laughs> For my last question. We have listeners all over the place. What do you want to say to all the people who are listening in? To all you that are listening in, I'm glad that you enjoy the bands that I have played in. And thank you for listening to the music. I hope to see you at some of my gigs, whatever what they are. I see quite a few of them because they come up and go, man, I've been listening to you since so and so and so and so. And it's amazing that someone has been listening to that and following that that long. And then when I think about it sometimes, it's like, man, they must be crazy. Then I think about 
You know, I think about Ray Charles, and I think about John Coltrane, and Miles Davis, a lot of those other ones that I chased and idolized. <laughs> so I appreciate the hellos and, and everything, and enjoy, enjoy the music. Thank you so much for listening. Jamo, thank you so much for this interview. It's been a great pleasure, sir. Thank you, Paul. Why don't we do it more often? I'm, I'm sitting here. I see where you had Larry King on your on this program and all these people, man. God, late notice, man. I feel kind of feel a little shaky coming by. <laughs> thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.